know that the first lesson lasted it, uh, two or three weeks, but we're starting our second lesson on Are You Ready for Your Healing? And uh, as we progress through this Bible study, uh, hopefully uh, we'll understand more and more about how God heals, uh, about the uh, promise of healing, and uh, how we can obtain for our lives the healing that we desire. I said some things last week through the course of the study over the last two weeks, actually, that, um, that raised some eyebrows, and uh, I told you that it was part of a whole, and not to get too nervous about that, but we talked about miracles, how that miracles are not for the believer. Miracles are for the unbeliever. Uh, we, we in, our, in our lives, in our relationship with God, we ask God for miracles. Uh, and we understand uh, that God is a miracle worker. There are a lot of things that God does for people that get classified miracles that are not necessarily uh, the true definition of a miracle. And uh, so when we ask God, we uh, ask him for a miracle of healing or a miracle of provision. Uh, a lot of times we don't receive that miracle because it is something that God never intended for us to have. Uh, God does not heal his children through the conduit of a miracle. He does not heal or provide for his children through the conduit of a miracle. He does that through the conduit of a covenant. Okay, it does not mean that you cannot be healed. It just simply means the avenue is different. That makes a lot of difference, so to speak, in us receiving from God those things that we uh, desire. We all understand if you want to get to a place that you need to take the right streets. It is the same thing with God, that there are, there are ways that God has set up in the Bible that help us to reach the destination that we desire. And it is no different uh, in obtaining the healing that we need. So we're going to, uh, to begin uh, lesson two this morning. And I know that Sister Palmer uh, this morning in our easy worship operator has gotten typer's cramp from typing all of the scriptures. We're going to be uh, reading a lot of scriptures, so bear with me, but we're going to hopefully begin this morning to explain how to receive healing from God. In John 3 and 6, the Bible says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The flesh is the carnal part of us. The spirit, obviously, is the spiritual part of us. And so uh, there are two parts of us that we must contend with or that we must live with. So uh, how do we contact with or live in the natural world? Uh, in your flesh, in your natural body, you live through your five senses. We live through sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. Our five senses connect us to the world around us and help us to relate to our circumstances and our surroundings. Jesus said that the world uh, of the flesh that we live by the flesh, in the world of the flesh, we live by the flesh. In other words, in our daily lives, we live by our five senses. We understand that if you touch a red hot stove burner, you're going to feel something. So we, we understand not to touch that and we live by these five senses that God has given us. But faith connects us to a spirit world. 
For born-again believers, what works in the natural or in the carnal world does not always work in the spiritual world. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, we walk by our spirit, by the faith we have in God, not by sight, which is one of the five senses. So some of the things that work in our natural world do not work in the spirit world. And if you try to apply natural promises or if you try to, not promise, but natural laws, the laws of our natural world, if you try to apply them to spiritual things, a lot of times you're going to be very disappointed in the results. The problem is when we try to use the methods uh, and the things that work in the carnal world to receive things from the spirit world. That's where the problem happens. Romans 10 and 17 tells us how our faith, how we grow faith. And it says, for we walk not by faith. Oh, we, I'm sorry, I read the wrong thing. We walk by faith, not by sight. How does faith come? How does faith come? It comes by hearing the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So then we can conclude, we understand that living by the flesh, as Jesus said, the flesh is of the flesh, is living, it's speaking, it's believing what your circumstance tells you. It's believing what your five senses tell you. When you walk in the flesh, you have to look and let your surroundings, you have to look at what's around you, and you have to believe what it tells you. What you see in your mind is supposed to be absolutely true. What you see with your eyes, what you can hear with your ears, what you can feel, what you can touch, is, is, and that is what we, what we live by in the flesh. But when we live in the spirit, it's when we live, when we, we speak things or we believe things that we don't necessarily understand or see in the flesh or in the carnal part of us. To illustrate uh, this contrast of living in the flesh versus, versus living in the spirit, we are going to read a scripture in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 22 through 31. The Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go, uh, to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? And a breakdown of these passages, if we can break them down into short little 
uh, sentences or just words. Uh, in verse 26, the Bible says the disciples saw him. In verse 27, they heard Jesus saying, It is I. They heard the word of God. In verse 28, Peter questions the word of God asking if. In other words, if it be you, then you come or bid me to come out onto the water. In verse 29, the word of God tells Peter uh, what to do. God is telling Peter, I want you to climb out of the boat and get on the water. And Peter is led by the Spirit uh, until that one moment, and this is the moment that catches us so many times. Here it is. He steps out on faith and he begins to walk across the water. Peter is walking on the water. And then what happens? He looked at his surroundings. He began to look at where he was at based on his carnal vision. Based on his flesh vision. He climbed out of the boat and here's Peter walking on the water. Has anybody here ever walked on water? I've been scared enough times on occasions that I thought I could have walked on water if I had to. But, but nobody really walks on water a lot. But imagine that moment, man. Imagine Jesus saying, come here, I want you to walk on this water. And you step out and you start walking across the water. And everything's going good. What faith you have. You have to walk in the spirit world to walk on water. Remember Brother Alexander one time asked me, about walking on water. He's probably asked all of you at some point or another. About walking on water. Could you still walk on water? And I, I said one time. And this is the same response I've gotten in several questions that he's asked. I said well brother Alexander. I guess if you believed you could. He said I don't believe that. That's why you don't walk on water. In verse 31 Jesus reveals to Peter saying. Uh, reveals how he sees Peter saying, Oh, thou of little faith, regardless of what God could do in the Spirit, so oftentimes it is forfeited. Listen to me, it is forfeited when our carnal senses or our flesh senses overpower us. There are things that God would do that are supernatural. There are things in your life that God would do that are spiritual. But we look at our circumstance based on what we see. And so we see our circumstance as uh, hopeless. We see our circumstance as there's no way out. There's no way that God is going to. We believe that he can, but we don't always uh, allow God to do it. And then there's another scripture setting found in Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 through 10 as a contrast to this. And the Bible says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. In this story is the exact opposite of the story we read a while ago. The centurion's servant is sick. 
I like how the Bible uh, words that he is sick of the palsy. Not only does he have palsy, but he's sick of having it. You ever heard of the old saying, being sick and tired of being sick and tired? This man had reached the point that he was sick of the palsy. He was sick of his, of his circumstance. He was sick of his disease. He was sick of where he was at. He was tired of it. He was done with it. He had reached his saturation point with the palsy. And so his master goes to Jesus and he asks him to heal him. And in verse 7, Jesus says that he's going to come to the centurion's house and heal the servant. In verse 8, the centurion, full of faith, full of faith. I mean, Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house. No, Jesus, you don't have to do that. I know that you have the power. I believe it. And he told Jesus it wasn't necessary to travel to the house, but God, if you'll speak the word only, all you have to do is speak, and my servant shall be healed. In verse 10, Jesus marveled at the centurion's great faith. In our first scripture setting that we read of the story of Peter, the disciples chose to live by his sight. He decided that he was going to allow God only to work through what he could see in the flesh, and he manifested little faith. Jesus even told Peter, O thou of little faith. In the second story of the centurion, the centurion demonstrated great faith, willing to live by God's word alone and not by what he saw. Little faith is living a life led by the five senses. Great faith is living a life led by the word of God. When we live by what appears to us. I wish you could get a hold of it. I wish you could understand it in our minds if we could ever grasp the concept that it is not about what it looks like. God is not confined. God is not inhibited by. God is not scared of what your circumstance looks like. He's not scared of what your disease looks like. He's not scared, and we're going to get into this in a few moments, about what the doctor says. God's not scared of all of that. He can heal it. He wants to heal you. The problem comes in when we look at our circumstance and we don't believe it anymore. We fall apart. We claim we have faith. I did not intend, uh, I'll, never mind, I'll get into it later. So understand, we have to live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. If our circumstances are going to change, and we're talking about are you ready for your healing, if you want to be healed, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, in any aspect of your life, the first thing we're going to have to do is get over our senses and get over what we see, what we hear, what we, what we understand, what we think. The greatest, the greatest enemy to us as the children of God receiving from God the things we need is by far us. We're our own greatest enemy. We, we, and, and we, I do it all the time. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to us. We, God can do it. No doubt. Is there anybody in here that believes God can? He can. Absolutely he can. Absolutely, no doubt. Everybody believes God can. 
But what happens when it comes to us? I know what I do. Well, I'm just destined to live with this. I'm just, de- God just intends for me to go through this. I, I look, I, I pray for people uh, that God, I, I prayed for somebody yesterday uh, through a prayer cloth that God would heal them. And I believe 100% that God can, can heal them. But when it comes to me, sometimes I just don't know. Sometimes that's what costs us. What God wants to do is by looking at our circumstances, wondering if God can do it. We look through at, at, at our sickness, we look at our problems through our carnal man. It's much easier to live, to speak, and believe by faith when you know God's will. If you knew without a shadow of a doubt what God's will was, wouldn't it be easier to believe it? Well, two people believe that. God's word is God's will, so we're going to talk about what the scriptures say about healing. And we're going to start in the Old Testament. Psalms 103, uh, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquity, who healeth all thy diseases. We know that during water baptism, all of our sins are remitted. And there's no question that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of our sins. Nobody doubts that stuff. In fact, we've heard, uh, we've never heard of anybody being asked while they were being baptized if there was a particular sin that the blood of Jesus did not cover. And if you'll read and notice in the scripture setting, in Psalms 103, God links his forgiveness of sin and healing of diseases with one word, all. He links them together with one word, all. He can cleanse all of your sins. And so if God can cleanse all of your sins, he can heal all of your diseases, regardless of what they are. And we have as much right, listen to me, this is where we're going to get crossed up. We have as much right to expect God to heal us as we do for him to forgive us of our sins. And you're looking at me going, well, now, Brother Merrill, now, hold on. You have as much right to expect God to heal you as you do for God to forgive you. You're still looking at me like a cow looking at last year's calves. Farmers, you might know what that is. For those that didn't, I'll explain later. How many of you believe that God can forgive any sin? How many of you believe God can heal any disease? How many of you expect when you repent that God forgives you? How many of you expect when you ask God to heal you, he's going to do it? Wow, that's awesome. Healing and forgiveness are both covenant promises. They're provided by the shed blood of Jesus. Choice for us to be healed is no more up to God than the decision for us to receive forgiveness of sins is up to Him. 
Receiving forgiveness or healing is not predicated on God's choice, but rather on our faith, our desire, and our ability to receive what is already established and promised in God's word. God doesn't make the choice whether you repent or not. That choice is up to you. God never forces people to repent. He offers it. Anytime you come to me and repent, I'm going to forgive you. Neither does God make the choice for you to be healed or not. That choice is also up to you. You say, well, if it was up to me, I would always be healed. We'll talk about that later. Again, I told you last week that this is part of a whole. Understand, this, is, this Bible study is part of a whole. God wants us to be healed. The following scriptures, I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to show you. That again, they're in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that in a second. We'll record God's will to heal his people. Exodus chapter 15, verse 25 and, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Exodus chapter 23, verse 25, And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. We see the promise of God as a healer, some might point out that these are Old Testament promises intended for ancient Israel. But hear me this morning. Healing is neither an Old Testament or a New Testament promise. It is a covenant promise. Healing is not for just Old Testament people and it's not for just New Testament people. It is for covenant people. When you are in a covenant with God, then you have a promise of healing. God healed people in covenants before grace. God healed people in the Old Testament covenant. He healed people in, in every covenant he has ever been in. And God, if we'll enter into covenant with him, it is a promise to us. Healing is a covenant promise. The promise made to Old Testament Israel are uh, promises that were made to, to Abraham or an Abrahamic covenant and according to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7 we are heirs to those which are of the faith God would not give a healing promise to Old Testament Israel and not to the New Testament church and we're going to read four scriptures to help support this James chapter 1 verse 17 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Malachi 3 and 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God doesn't change. If he did it in the Old Testament, he can do it in the New Testament. If he did it 5,000 years ago for Abraham, he can do it today for you. Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, God doesn't change. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The reason why God did so many things in the Old Testament and, and the children of Israel went through so many things was to give us, give us an example. 
So if God gave an example of healing in the Old Testament, then he will do it in the New Testament. The Old Testament, and we read it in Psalms, connects the, the equal promises of forgiveness and physical healing together. And this connection becomes much stronger in the New Testament. When we hear the word salvation in the New Testament, what do you think of? When I say the word salvation, what do you think of? We often think of repentance, right? Baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. However, in the New Testament, the Greek word uh, for salvation is soterra, meaning deliverance, preservation, safety, peace, soundness, and health. We oftentimes, and, and sometimes we're wrong, we think that salvation is only the restoration of our spirit. We think salvation is the restoration of our spirit. Is everybody okay this morning? Is everybody listening? I hope you're, you're listening rather than falling asleep. Some are you're not getting to be able to write fast enough? Oh, okay. Uh, I just don't want you to fall asleep. We say salvation is restoration of the Spirit. When somebody walks through those church doors that doesn't know God and they repent and they've been baptized in Jesus' name and they receive the Holy Ghost, then their spirit is restored to God. And that's where we stop. And that is true, their spirit is restored to God. But that's not the end. God uses an all-encompassing word for salvation, which means the peace for our mind Prosperity for our pocketbook. Unity in our relationships. Health for our bodies. Deliverance from sin. And rebirth of our spirit. So when we see scriptures concerning salvation, they are not only a promise that our spirits will be healed, but our total being can be healed. It is not the will of God for us to always be sick. Does sickness come? Yes. And we're going to talk about that in a later lesson. But it is not the will of God for us to stay that way. The scriptures concerning salvation not only promise that your spirit can be made whole and will be made whole, but that your bodies will and that your minds will and that your heart will and that your relationships will and that your past can be healed. All of this stuff happens in salvation. We know that in the Old Testament salvation was incomplete because they used an inferior substitute for salvation and that was a lamb or an animal sacrifice looking forward to the day when Jesus would come. You remember uh, when Abraham was going to offer Isaac on the altar and Isaac looked up at him and said, Dad, we have the fire and Dad, we have the wood, but where is the sacrifice? There's no animal. And Abraham says, Son, God will provide himself a lamb. Y'all remember that story? 
What did they find caught in the bushes when, when God stopped Abraham from killing Isaac? A ram. It was, he was not talking about when they went to uh, sacrifice that day that God was going to provide a lamb for them to sacrifice. What Abraham was saying is that in the future, somewhere in the future, God is going to provide himself. He's going to take himself and make himself a lamb, and he is going to sacrifice for humanity. Isaac, you don't have to die today because Jesus is going to die at some point in the future, and his arms will be stretched into the future this way, and his arms will be stretched into the past this way, and he's going to die for all of humanity. And so, Isaac, you don't have to do that. And so when the children of Israel sacrificed animals, it was an inferior substitute for the real lamb, Jesus, that would be sacrificed. But still, that lamb died and exchanged places for the people that brought them to sacrifice. In doing so, God was preparing the minds of mankind to accept an exchange or a substitute where our sins could be exchanged or our lives could be exchanged for the life of Jesus himself. So to understand the magnitude of what Jesus purchased and accomplished at Calvary, we must understand the concept of exchange and substitution. I thank God for exchange and substitution. I thank God that he took my place on Calvary. I was talking to somebody this past week, you know, every year around Easter in the Philippines, I know is one country for sure that does it. For a small fee, you can have yourself crucified. It's not a joke. They don't tie you up there. They literally nail you to a cross. How many of you buying your plane ticket today? You can go to this, this place in the Philippines, and it's a big deal. 10, 15, 20 people a year do it. They fly from around the world, and they pay a certain amount of money, and they lay down on a wooden cross, and they take big nails, and they drive it through their hands and their feet, and then they set the cross up, and you hang there. And when you, get, when you get ready to get down, you just tell them and they take you down, they pull the nails out, and they bandage your wounds. Doesn't that sound like fun? And I was talking to somebody this past week about it, and, I, and, and they said, what do you think about that? I said, I think it's stupid. Why do you want to be crucified? Well, I want to associate with the suffering that Jesus went through. Is one lady, that was her comment she made when I was watching a documentary about this phenomenon. Jesus was crucified so you wouldn't have to be. What? <laughs> Jesus, your sacrifice wasn't good enough? Let me go do it anyway? Look, if you want to take my place of something that painful, go ahead. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to run out there and associate with that pain. Don't want to. Jesus did it. God, God already took care of that stuff. So, so understand the, the, the concept of, of exchange and substitution. Jesus died for our sins on Calvary. And not only was it a place where he died for our sins, but it was a place where God and man made an exchange through a mediator. Of course, Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he is our mediator. God and man met at the foot of the cross. We gave him our sickness. We gave him our sin, our poverty, our sadness, our ashes. There's an incredible scripture in the Old Testament about ashes. Heaviness, our bondage, and all of these things that we as humans carry, we gave that to God, and he gave us the remission of our sins. He gave us health, 
Instead of sickness, prosperity. Instead of poverty. Instead of sadness, he gave us joy. Instead of ashes, the Bible says he gives us beauty. Instead of these heaviness, he gives us praise. And bondage, he gives us liberty. And so much more. It was all in exchange. And all of these things are what we have access to through the blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation. Listen, salvation is not this purgatory-like state that we struggle through the rest of our lives, just barely trying to get to heaven. I've told people before, if I can just make it, if I can just make it, you know, I've had people, and we talk about it, uh, I guess it's kind of cute and comical and all those things, but we talk about heaven and our mansions, you know, I just can't wait to see my mansion, I wonder how big it's going to be, and you know, how much how many bedrooms it's going to have, and, and we talk about all these things, and we can argue and debate all that junk, and it's funny and cute. But I've said before, if I can just make heaven, if I step inside that gate, even if the gate bumps me when it closes, that's fine. Just let me get in. But that's the wrong attitude and mentality. I've kind of thought about it before. I've even told God before uh, in prayer, kind of, you know, God is able to handle our wide range of emotions and all that stuff. And I was kind of in a uh, good mood or whatever. And, and I said, God, if I, you know, the streets of gold, if you just let me pave, I can live in a little shack in the back and I'll fix the potholes. Just let me, just let me make sure I make it. That's, that's all that matters. I don't have to have a big mansion and all that stuff. But that's not the right mentality of salvation. It's not this state that we live in where we're barely just trying to make it to heaven. Salvation is more than that. It's deeper than that. And understand that God's salvation is a restoration of all the things that Satan has taken from us. Through Adam and Eve's sin, Satan has robbed us since the Garden of Eden. He robbed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Before sin robbed him, Adam had health. He was intended to live forever, prosperity, abundance, a loving relationship with Eve, his wife. I guess that's the only time recorded in history anywhere that a husband and wife had a, the perfect marriage before sin. Because since then, There's ups and downs. Somebody asked me the other day, is there a such thing as a perfect marriage? I'm sure somebody out there will tell you they have the perfect marriage. They said, well, do you have the perfect marriage? I said, Christy thinks so. I told her this morning. We were getting ready for church and she said something and I said you you have been oh uh, I mentioned we've been married for 13 years a little over 13 years now and she said wow just how time flies and I said yeah and look how blessed you've been she was just shaking her head I said I can tell you and I know she's probably listening to me on the screen right now we'll poke her head in a few minutes and I'll get in trouble on the way home but I said just it's been hard on me but for you, it has been such a blessing and so easy. Do y'all buy that? No, you're smart. Let 
But before sin, Adam had these things. He had health and prosperity and, and, uh, and good relationships. He had a right spirit. He had a whole mind. He had his intimate relationship with God. And having faith in Christ on our part and the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary on his part completed the exchange that restored all of these things back to us. It's faith in God on our part. That's all we have to do. It's Jesus made the exchange. He's the one that paid the price that all of these things could be restored back to us. Psalms 107, verse 20, the Bible says, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. What does John say is, is the word? And the word was what in verse chapter 1, verse 14, was made flesh. Here's, here's the psalmist prophesying that God is going to send His word. It's going to be made flesh, and because of that, He's going to heal them. It's not just a spiritual healing, and I thank God for spiritual healing, but it's more than that. It's for the rest of us too. Isaiah 61 and 3, the Bible says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Here is what God is endeavoring and trying to do in our lives, to take the ashes of us and, and to give us beauty for them, and, and then the oil of joy for the mourning that we go through this garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness is an exchange that Jesus does. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet uh, we did esteem him stricken, spitten of God, and afflicted. Jesus being afflicted so that he could bear our griefs and our sorrows. Folks, there's no sense in us carrying this stuff. He's already done it. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's an incredible, I love Isaiah chapter 53. It's an incredible picture of what Jesus is doing. He's taking our transgressions. It's by his stripes we're healed. All of these things Jesus took on the cross for us so that we wouldn't have to go through them. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. I've got to hurry. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. In other words, he took everything that was against us. He took our sickness. He took our disease. He took our mentalities. He took our men mental problems. He took our emotional problems. He took broken relationship. He took our sin. He took all of that and nailed it to the cross. Anything that was written against us, anything against us, Jesus took it and nailed it to the cross so that we wouldn't have to deal with it. We wouldn't have to live with it. And I know that we live with things, and, and maybe this has raised questions even this morning, then why am I going through things? And, and I want to, uh, to again, uh, ask you to be a part of these Bible studies on Sunday morning because we're going to get to that place and we're going to see God do some incredible things. If we can understand, if we can understand what it is that God wants us to do and understand that our healing and that the promises of God, they're paid for. They're paid for. If I told you that today after church, 
assuming that your schedule was free, to drive over to Ruth Chris's steakhouse. And they had a full-fledged meal prepared for you when you got there. And don't worry about the cost. It's paid for. Would you go? <laughs> There's some of them. <laughs> yeah. In fact, Brother Merrill, if you're prophesying that, I'll go anyway right now. If I told you to go down to Jerry Lane Chevrolet, they got the brand new car of your dream sitting on the lot. It's been paid for, tax, title, license, everything. The salesman's going to meet you at the front door with an ice cold uh, Coke and the keys to your brand new dream vehicle. All you have to do is drive down there and go get it. Would you do it? We don't mind receiving things that are paid for especially things that are paid for. It's when you got to go sign the little paper that they're going to send you every monthly little, that's one we don't like. If God has already paid for these things and all we have to do is demonstrate some faith to receive them, why don't we want them? Why don't we invest the time and the effort it takes to learn how to receive from God the things he's already paid for? You know, if we never receive them, this is kind of dawn on me, I guess it's not a real revelation, but if we never receive what God has for us, you know he paid for that for nothing? How would that make you feel if you bought a real nice $200 meal for somebody and because they didn't want to really didn't feel like it, they never went and ate it and you lost your 200 bucks? So God has already prepared this. He's already paid for it. Let's go and uh, engage our faith, engage our understanding of the word of God that we're gaining and will continue to gain, and let's see God do some incredible things. What do you say? You ready for your healing? I am. Praise the Lord. God bless you this morning. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness and your attentiveness in Sunday school this morning, and uh, don't go anywhere. We've got an awesome second service in a few minutes. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.